What is crack lacking, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my certified fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes, who is just so unbelievably dedicated, as am I, that we have two live podcasts smack in the middle of the workday because we know that's what the masses want and have time to view. We're going to take a look back at the NBA trade deadline, which was exactly one month ago today. Happy one month anniversary to the NBA trade deadline. We're going to go through the biggest moves, regrade them or reanalyze them based off our initial thoughts. But first, the question everyone is dying, dying to know the answer to. Grant, how the heck are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking. Uh, you know what else today is? It's not just a month from the deadline. It's exactly a month until the end of the regular season. So what what better, you know, if you're into symmetry, what better time to look at these trades? That's kind uh, of a nice, that wouldn't be called the bookend, whatever that is. It's the symmetry. I don't know what it is. Nice it's right yeah. smack in the middle. That's good. That's perfect. This is, a, this is the right time to do this, I think. Does it feel like the time since the trade deadline has flown by or taken forever or both? Flown by because the all-star break was in there too. Um, so yeah. like, it, yeah, we, I mean, we talked, you know, a few weeks ago about how that break was nice, but the, the other, the weird thing is like, I don't know how you feel about this, but for a lot of these trades, uh, it has felt like we're still kind of waiting to see, you know, what the results are going to be. It, you know, we, we just like the Lakers, for example, and now we'll talk about it like with Durant. So we haven't gotten a lot uh, of looks at, you know, oh, this team, this revamped team, what, what are, you know, how different is it now or how much better or how much worse is it? Um, so we have a lot of like, I don't know we still have a lot of a sample that we need to judge. And, and in some cases we're not going to get it, but uh, that, that's, that's another thing that makes like looking back at these trades interesting is that we just, for some of them, it's like, I don't know, we still, we still need to see way more to be sure. Yeah. And we went through this for Bleacher Report too. So it's an exercise we have clearly thought a lot about at the moment. So, um, so I guess we should start with, let's start with the Kevin Durant deal, which was, so do you want to take us through since you led this one when we were regrading them? Can you lead us through the Kevin Durant deal? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if we need to go over the full trade, but I mean, everybody remembers basically it's Durant and TJ Warren to the Suns for Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson. What is it? One, two, three, four unprotected firsts. I can't ever, it, a whole bunch of firsts and some swaps. It's just like the most you could possibly give up more or less. Um, and now, as I was alluding to, uh, Kevin Durant sprained his ankle in warmups on Wednesday night. And so there's, you know, reporting is still early, but I've seen grade two ankle sprain. I've seen four to six weeks. I've seen maybe for the season, he was in a boot last night. We know that. Um, so I don't know how you feel about that effect on the trade or how it should change the way we evaluate it. Personally, I'm not really, I, you know, and this is going to be inconsistent because there's going to be another trade where an injury is going to affect my analysis of it but not so much in this case because this was just always about the ceiling. And for me, just to go to the sun's grade first, it's just a flat a, uh, even, even if we've seen three games now of Durant, they were all awesome. Like he just fit in perfectly. Didn't take anything off the table. They were all big wins. Um, I'm trying to, let me pull the stats up here. So his shooting lines, you know, 23 points on 10 of 15 shooting 20 points on seven of 10, 37 on 12 of 17. It's like a joke, right? And those are all three wins. And and so whatever questions you had about, and most people didn't, will, will Kevin Durant be difficult to integrate into a team? No, he, no, he will not. He is the most scalable superstar basically ever. Uh, so it looked great. And all we care about is the ceiling because we, at least I, and I think you to some degree thought 
that this trade makes the Suns, you know, on par with Denver or right there in the West. I haven't changed my opinion on that. The injury clouds it, but it's like, you're not going to say this was anything other than a home run. And then the other side of it, unless you have, do you want, before I get to bridges specifically in the nets, do you, how does the injury affect if at all your opinion on the sun side of this? It doesn't because the, especially because we don't know the severity of it just yet. And also, even if he comes back, not until the playoffs, He's just shown that he'll come back from injury and dominate anyway. Right. So even if he missed the next like three weeks or whatever it was, they're going to be fine. I gave them an A minus the first time around. And I think after seeing it on the floor and just Devin Booker too, just absolutely thriving during yeah. the KD era alongside KD, not just during the game that KD didn't play on Wednesday night. Um, that made me feel even better about it. I gave them an A minus initially because I'll just say, and I talked about this with the timeline pod guys, they didn't win. You got Kevin Durant. So you won, but they didn't win any aspect of the negotiation. It was, they didn't broker picks, swaps, and I get the McHale, they were never getting out of it while keeping Mikael Bridges. No. Like they tried to sandwich DeAndre Ayton there instead. It wasn't going to work, so I understand that. But like then at the end, where Matt Ishbia was just like, "Yeah, we'll give you Jay Crowder because you all of a sudden said that you weren't going to trade us Kevin Durant because of Jay Crowder." I get that you were paying for the exclusivity of the window still, but you were a market of one and like just didn't win any aspects of the negotiation. So there was a little bit of new owner syndrome there to me. I don't know if you felt the same way, but again, you can't lose this trade 11 times out of 10. I would still make it. It just would have been nice to see them like protect their flank a little bit. Yeah, that's totally fair. I think, and I mean, that ties into the, the net side of it. Uh, Bridges just, I mean, like, look, he's not. So the, one of the narratives with Bridges this season, and I'm not narrative in a negative way, like it's bullshit, but one of the real storylines for him was he was expanding his game. And that had to do with, you know, Chris Paul was hurt. Devin Booker was hurt. Cam Johnson was hurt. So he was sort of just like the only guy left, you know, of any, you know, substantial star adjacent quality to do anything. And so he was running a couple more pick and rolls and he was getting a little more, you know, into the self-creation bag on offense and just generally being on the ball more, just a little bit, nothing crazy. I mean, we talked about it. Um, and then he gets to Brooklyn and suddenly it's, it's like, oh my God, this guy, is he a frontline, you know, first option star? The numbers, so <laughs> it's just like a joke to look at these. 26 and a half points, 5.3 boards, 3.3 assists. His shooting split 52.6% from the field, 48.1 from deep, 92.2 from the line. Like that's all going to come down. There's just no one, no one sustains that level of offensive efficiency on that kind of volume. But like what we thought was happening with Phoenix is really happening in Brooklyn. Like his, his usage rate was 19.2%. It's 27.3 now. Mm uh 60.2% of his that we kind of botched this or I did on on the uh on the actual write up but the gist is that like 15% more of his field goals are unassisted now so he's not just dependent on he, he's the, the 3 and D label like kind of done i mean he is that he can be a 3 maybe the best 3 and D player in the league but he's so much more than that and i really focused most of my analysis of this trade on him because i think in addition to all those picks and, you know, Cam Johnson is not nothing and, and all that other stuff, just the fact that bridges might be so much better than he showed himself to be in Phoenix. Uh, it, this is an a for the nets. I, I went a is all around on this just because everybody got what they wanted. And I think the nets maybe got more than, than they expected. So um, just the bridges evolution really just puts this over the top for Brooklyn. You don't want to trade one of the best players of all time, but if you have to, uh, this is a great way to uh, ease the sting of that. And as you alluded to, like, you know, 
there there was nobody else really to 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 run up this offer. It was just kind of like he want Durant wants to go to Phoenix. That's just what it is. It's not like the market was, you know, forcing Phoenix's hand. You just got so much more than you should have been able to here. Yeah, and just I mean the progression from Mikhail Bridges to echo what you said. Yes, it was underway in Phoenix, but like this year, you know, the thing you had written about, like his two point unassisted, you know, like the share of his baskets that are going unassisted from two point range just skyrocketed. Just overall, looking at the progression from last year and even how stark it's been from Phoenix to Brooklyn, 18.1% of his buckets last season went unassisted. Then with the Suns this year, that was up to 28.8%. And now we're looking at about 40% of all his field goals going unassisted. That's a huge jump. And so just like if if he maintains it, I don't know. I would bet against him being a 1A on a really good team. Me too. But like were we ever talking about him as maybe during our hotter takes, we said he could be the second best player in our championship team, but is he now maybe a one B or is he a certifiable number two? And the fact that this is just eminently on the table now, that's a big, that's a big deal uh, for Brooklyn, especially because he's under contract. They don't have their own picks. And so if they want to even see like, if they want to keep their optionality open, you have bridges to be like, Oh, well we could keep them. Or what would he command on the trade market this summer? If you turned around and flipped them again. Right. I mean, you heard the like four firsts, right? There's whispered that, that they, that's what they thought they could get for him shortly after they acquired him. Would uh, love to know if we're talking like, real right. first, but yeah. it can't be four first. Like they gave up to Phoenix, but like, I just think zooming out, uh, what's happening with bridges is a really good cause cause I didn't think, I think I kind of, you know, downplayed, Oh, he's doing more. He's capable of this. Cause with Phoenix, his efficiency was down and, and he, you know, with, as his volume and sort of responsibilities increased, I kind of thought like maybe he can be a little better, but I never foresaw this. And it's a good reminder that every once in a while, you know, every player thinks they can do more and not to say that bridges was kind of clamoring for more responsibilities, but every once in a while you get this, which, you know, and there's not a lot of them like Jimmy Butler going from he's, Oh, he's a nice role player. to Oh, he's a good defender. to Oh, he's a first option on a title threat for like the next eight years. You know, every once in a while you get that kind of level up and bridges, I think is much closer to that than the guy you can sort of incrementally give more responsibilities to. So it's, it's a good reminder that you can't just dismiss, you know, guys putting up more volume or doing different stuff because the circumstances call for it. Like they did in Phoenix. Sometimes it's, it's real. Yeah, and the thing I would just caution very quickly to wrap this up is Mikael Bridges has been spectacular. The Nets are also on the bottom five of offensive efficiency since right. the Durant trade. Not all him. He hasn't even played. He wasn't he wasn't eligible for the first game that they played without KD, but like still, uh, that would be something to keep in mind is like, can he be the driving force, the number one on a you know, a top ten offense? I don't I don't know, but what he's showing now is is incredible. We should probably hit the other side of this, which is the order we actually went in when we regraded it. So Kyrie Irving to Dallas, just to rehash the package. There, it was the Dallas Mavericks sent Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, a 2027 second, a 2029 first unprotected, and then a 2029 first to the Dallas Mavericks for Kyrie Irving and Markeith Morris, who I forgot to include in my initial write-up when I when I sent it. I just forgot that he sort of existed. Uh, I did not grade this the first time around. I graded all these trades except for the Kyrie one because it happened before the trade deadline. I can tell you unequivocally, based off the live show we did, uh, I probably would have given them a D- minus or an F. I gave it a C uh, the second time around just because the same semblance of risk is there. And I don't know if you've already seen the video that he posted uh, that's floating around there going off on how people watch him for three hours and think that they know him. And I find that video funny 
because it's further evidence of a disconnect from reality because he specifically mentions you're not considering the other 21 hours of my life. It is literally the other 21 hours of the day that concerns everyone with you. No one, everyone is at ease when they watch you on the basketball court for those three hours. That's when the opinion of yourself is at its highest. It's nadir. You're at your most radioactive off the basketball court. So please, like, I just talk about disconnective narcissism. Is that a thing? Like, I, he's just mind blowing. So the risk is there because he said all the right things <laughs> except for that, that post. But speaking of the media, since joining the Mavericks, he said all the right things. He hasn't wanted to talk about his future. And I think that's fine. That's his, that's his prerogative here. Um, I think that he will wind up resigning in Dallas, which is part of this grade because you don't force your way out of Brooklyn unless you're concerned about a team having your bird rights. And uh, Dallas now has the bird rights. They're pot committed because of what they gave up for him and sort of just let him walk for nothing or even trying to move him as part of a sign-in trade, which, well, what's the market for that going to be? Yeah, okay, the Lakers, but they've already traded one of their picks. And they can't, to be have LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Kyrie Irving on your payroll and be hard-capped just feels super unrealistic. And so I'm caking him to see it's like, okay, he'll probably be back. Do I feel good about that? I have no idea. But I will say when you watch the Mavs, you can see the outline of a really good team that's just not finished yet. Because mm-hmm. Kyrie and Luka, the Mavs, are beating opponents by almost 10 points per 100 possessions with them on the court. Surprise, surprise, they can't get stops. Surprise, surprise, Jason Kidd doesn't want to play them with, with Christian Wood. Surprise, surprise, they're overly reliant on Josh Green and Reggie Bullock and now uh, just returned from injury, Maxi Kleba on the defensive end. Those are all when you look at what they need with the trade assets they still have because they can trade up to uh, two first-round picks this summer still. You have the ability to go out and, I, I think, I get finishing touches, which in theory is what you need now. If you're counting on Kyrie Irving to be healthy and engaged, you just need finishing touches around him and Luka. I'm still wildly uncomfortable with this trade because I personally, and these are the lens through which we – grade these trades would not have tethered any part of Luka Doncic's competitive window to Kyrie Irving, who is just the anti-Semitism stuff, um, the the, being away from the nets at different points, um, the way he submarine all these different locker rooms, just the thing that he said, how he can become a perpetual distraction just like that. I don't, the fact that the maps felt they needed to make this risk is an indictment on their situation. And I think that still holds, but again, I want to reiterate even the games they've lost, like most with Kyrie and Luka Doncic, they've played some pretty high-end opponents for the most part, and they've all got, they've had some bad losses too, but they've gone into crunch time. There's a high-level outcome for this team, and I'm just curious as to whether they'll be able to get the finishing touches around them. However, and the final thing here, and I'm just echoing this, is Kyrie going to stay? Are you fine being in the lucrative and long-term Kyrie Irving business? That is still very much up for debate, and people will get mad at a C if any Mavericks fans are listening to this, C is passing. They're passing. It's passing. So I think the thing, so this is one of the trades that uh, I haven't really, nothing that I've seen on the floor has changed uh, my opinion of it. Because as you said, with talking specifically about Kyrie, I didn't really have any questions about how this would work or how it would look in the actual games. Like that's, I didn't think, you know, we always kind of wring our hands about there's only one ball. Uh, how are Kyrie and Luca going to coexist? I didn't really ever see that as as a you know a realistic thing to be concerned about. It's all the other stuff. It's the other 21 hours that, as as you said, I think maybe we should we got to come up with some kind of like that needs to become a thing that we're concerned about Kyrie Irving's 21 hours. Um, but but I just as you were talking about it, 
I agree that he is likely to stay now. I think it's maybe feels more likely than it did. It was call it a coin flip or whatever. When the trade went down, seems reasonably likely that he will resign. And I can't decide if I think that's better or worse than him leaving, you know, (laughs) free agency. And that's always been the concern for me is I can't figure out which possible outcome makes me feel better about the trade. And that's just because if he leaves, that's rough, right? You, you gave up a first, you gave up, you know, real players, Dorian Finney-Smith specifically, that helped you and, and helped you get to a conference finals, however you feel about that run last year. Um, I think him losing him, having given that up, would be bad. And I think the fallout with Luca being frustrated, like, so what was that all even for, is big. But if you consi- you consign or or attach or tether, like you said, yourself to Kyrie Irving on a multi-year deal – you're just signing up for like God knows what. And and unfortunately, if you had to guess what that ends up being, it would look a lot like it did with Brooklyn, where he's maybe not available, where he's acting in ways and saying things and doing things that just are not conducive to team success. Uh, they can be corrosive to team chemistry and eventually it gets to the situation where he is looking to leave again. And then you're just over a barrel for, and no one will feel bad for you because this was so easy to see coming based on his track record. Like, I don't know which outcome I prefer, staying or leaving. So because it makes me so uncomfortable, I didn't grade this one, but I just, I just, it has to be like a D or an F because I think it's just from the outset for me, the idea that Kyrie Irving is going to solve your problems is a flawed, uh, flawed premise. It just, I don't, I don't know. I can't get there. So uh, I understand that, you know, you need top end talent, but I just have never found a way to feel good about Irving being on this team with the stakes of if this goes as bad as possible, Luka Doncic is the next superstar to ask to be traded. Like that's not an unreasonable thing to, to suspect is possible. So that's, that's a long way of saying, I just, I can't be in the Kyrie Irving business. If I'm, if I'm a team that has any real aspirations. Um, How about the other side? It's a little cleaner, but what'd you do for Brooklyn here? I gave them in a minus. I wondered if, and Oh, very quickly to answer Brent in the chat saying, uh, have no issue with Kai. The risk is he will be a free agent. Kai could still end up with the Lakers. I agree it could happen, but it, it has to happen with him taking a pay cut because, as I mentioned before, you can't possibly, you can, I think, ever do the math, but like working under the hard, it would be Kyrie Irving, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and a bunch of minimums. That's not bankable. We know all these guys are going to miss games at this point. So I'm not ruling out the Lakers, but it would take some pretty substantive financial concessions on Kyrie's part, which I just don't think that he's going to be willing to make given how he left Brooklyn, because it seems like he wanted his bird rights to transfer. Uh, As you mentioned, the net side of things, I gave him an A minus here. I've wondered whether because Kevin Durant was moved, it shouldn't have changed the calculus of what they targeted in a Kyrie Irving trade of getting more future assets than they did. And I said, in theory, yes. But then I sat back and I asked who was giving them more future assets. You got the equivalent at minimum of two first round picks in the 2029 first and Dorian Finney-Smith at minimum. And it, it adds up to more than first round equity because you have Dinwiddie, you have those two seconds. And what other team was going to beat that offer? Maybe the Lakers. But if you're the Lakers and you knew that you could get D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Jared Vanderbilt, while getting rid of Russell Westbrook and only giving up one first round pick, would you have preferred that to giving up two firsts and two swaps and maybe Austin Reeves for Kyrie Irving. I think there's a, even as much as LeBron wanted to play with Kyrie, there's a chance that they would have preferred the depth while maintaining some of their trade assets moving forward. 
But aside from them, that was it. Like there was no team that was coming and beating this offer. And so I think the Nets did well in a situation that they absolutely contributed to by handing the franchise over to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, by not sort of taking a hard line stance sooner, uh, by even when he was looking for other teams as part of a sign-in trade, uh, like them letting him, them giving him that ultimatum or allowing him to have that search and then the resolution being he's just coming back, but we don't want to extend him still. Like they needed to have a more coherent opinion on the future of Kyrie Irving and they failed to do that. So everything he did, there's also the stuff that they failed to do as well, but they still got great value here. And that Dallas Mavericks pick is not only unprotected, but it postdates Luca's current contract by at least two years. It's two years after his player option. So it's three years. That could be, that's almost maybe too far because if Luca's going to agitate to get out, it's going to be the, at least the, you know, maybe the year before his deal's actually up and so yeah. giving the Mavericks time to rebound. But to get that pick so far off into the distance of a team that even if Kyrie sticks around, he's going to be getting up there in age by that point. I think it was a, a solid bet to make, again, relative to a market that I honestly believe, and we have yet to hear differently, it was the Lakers and the Mavericks for Kyrie. And I don't buy, I buy the Suns' interest tangentially. Like you, Devin Booker's so young, a 2029 Mavericks pick to me, even though they have Luca, beats out uh, a, a Suns pick in 2029 at this point. So I think under the circumstances, and I also just feel like Phoenix was kind of just playing galaxy brain negotiation where it's, well, why would we give up all the, any stuff for Kyrie Irving when we're going to be in the Kevin Durant sweepstakes once he's traded? So I just, I can't fully buy Phoenix's interest to that extent, but I think this was a, you know, Cam Johnson or not Cam Spencer Dinwiddie has is not hitting threes anymore. Apparently, he only does that in Dallas. Jordan Finney Smith is sub twenty seven percent from three in Brooklyn. So I factored that in. Those guys should normalize, but I think it was an A minus for Brooklyn. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of the. I don't know if it's a conspiracy theory or it's just kind of like a diabolical approach by Brooklyn. But like, let's send in this saboteur and get that first round pick out in the future. Because if if anyone can just completely destroy a franchise in the span of like several weeks, it's him. And so suddenly we're just, we're just adding to the potential value of that future first we have, even if it's way down the line, but like there's, there's a real possibility that Dallas is just like, is totally undone by this. And then suddenly that 29 first round pick is like, it's how we would have viewed some of those Lakers, those 27 and 29 Lakers picks, maybe even more so because everyone assumes the Lakers can go get free agents and Dallas basically has never done that. So, I mean, they tried at least a fair tried. It's, it's a, it's a fun angle. So I don't have a lot to add there. I think the Nets did great. B, you know, your B plus feels, feels about right to me. Um, I have the next one. This is uh, the James Wiseman to Detroit super trade, which as you noted in your initial write-up is really two separate ones. Um, but it involves the Hawks, Pistons, Warriors, I, and Blazers. I, I think it became one by did the it? way. I'm okay. not it, yeah, so I think it, it was reported as two separate ones, but I think it was folded into one just giant-ass mega deal. So, so that's how we're looking at it. And 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 essentially, the principles here are the Hawks are getting Sadiq Bey, the Pistons got James Wiseman, the Warriors got Gary Payton the second and some second-round picks, and the Blazers got Kevin Knox and a whole bunch of second-round picks, um, five. So the the let's you know get out of the get the small stuff out of the way first. Sadiq Bay has been pretty good for the Hawks. Um, they needed three point shooting. He's hit a ton of threes. He's hit more than half of his threes uh, so far with the team. Um, they've won his minutes, which is just like yeah, if you have a guy that's hitting half of his threes on decent volume, chances are you're going to win those minutes if it's if he's not playing a ton. Um, he's not that good of a shooter. He's a career thirty six percent guy. I think he can be better than that. Um, I think he still has defensive upside. 
So that's, you know, considering what Atlanta gave up, totally fine. If he if they end up paying him like DeAndre Hunter, which is apparently part of the reason Detroit wanted to move off of him because he was going to have pretty wild extension demands in the neighborhood of like 90 million. Uh, not great, I, but it's not like he gave up a ton to get him. So uh, that's a B for the Hawks for me. Uh, let's get to, let's just do wise with the Wiseman side of it next. I think we disagree on this um, a little bit, or at least based on your initial grade, I gave Detroit a B plus and it has nothing to do with Wiseman looking really good with the Pistons once now that he's free of the Warriors and their two timelines and short, short leashes and uh, sort of failure to accept his mistakes. Like he's just kind of the same guy um, makes tons of mistakes. Can't catch the basketball will never high point a rebound has not has yet has yet to do it in all the time I've watched him slow to rotate somehow shrinks when he can test shots and is not a massive human that's super athletic all of a sudden when he has to go up and contest in traffic all these other all these problems are still there I still give Detroit a B plus because Wiseman is just the type of buy low whatever you want to call him lottery ticket you know high risk high ceiling low floor type of talent that you should just be in the business of, of trying to acquire if you have the worst record in the league. Um, and I, I guess me feeling good about the Pistons getting Wiseman requires that I don't care that about the positional overlap because, you know, Jalen Duran, Marvin Bagley, if you want to throw him in there, who just should not. I mean, the Pistons do. Isaiah, <laughs> Isaiah Stewart. So like, yeah, there's overlap, but so the worst case scenario is that several of those guys become really good and you have to figure out what to do with playing time or trading some of them. That seems like a great problem. And I think it's a problem Detroit should hope it runs into because otherwise, it, you know, Oh, we're not going to acquire this like lottery ticket guy because we already have centers. One of them's a teenager. We're pretty sure he's going to, no, you can't know anything about Jalen Duran yet. You have to just stockpile high upside guys, the greatest extent possible. So that's my analysis of the Wiseman trade. He might suck forever, but he might be good, and Detroit should be willing to take that risk. Uh, the Warriors, I killed them. Uh, do you have anything on on those two teams on Atlanta or Detroit before I power through the other two? I would. I'd be. I'm rock solid with an Atlanta B plus. I mean, they gave up a lot of second rounders, but Sadiq Bay, like you said, has been good. Yeah. I don't know what this implies about are they willing to pay him. I do think Detroit sort of, you know too early i'm like okay he wants deandre hunter money but he's only extension eligible like this he's not right. on the verge of restricted not, he's not even extension eligible right yeah. now like it's, he's it's not restricted even... free agency next next summer yeah so i mean to get out in front of that was fine but then just to decide not so i liked it for atlanta overall to just decide that you didn't want to be in the sadiq bay business as detroit right now though for another big that's what still gives me pause wiseman i just banked on him not playing well in mm -hmm. detroit especially given the confines of their offense He's definitely been better than I've expected and from uh, admittedly what little I've seen of him in Detroit so far. But like that being said, it's just, it's not just about, okay. And if Jalen Duren's hurt at the moment, like you can find minutes for him. I get the upside play. I just don't understand what it says about the theory of Detroit's roster. And you had Troy, Re Troy Weaver, excuse me, talking about, well, Milwaukee plays two bigs and Cleveland plays two bigs. And just, you know, presumably Laz Jackson pointed this out on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast, you would like one of those two bigs to be able to play lockdown defense, mm -hmm. which neither Wiseman nor Duren do right now. I think Duren's potential, yeah, there's definitely through the roof there when you look at uh, his mobility, but I just, I don't get it. And, you know, the fact that Wiseman's playing well or showing flashes now, okay, great. 
Like what's going to happen when, I mean, like just long-term between him and Durin there, it feels like it's going to come to a head and look, you got to make a decision on him pretty soon because he's extension eligible this year. You shouldn't give him one. Although they gave Marvin Bagley a contract uh, for three years, all guaranteed, but uh, R2K, I can't tell you guys fuck. I don't know if you mean we suck or if we fuck and that's a compliment. I'm going to take it as a compliment. Um, Always as a compliment. Yeah. But uh, I just, I don't, I get it from a talent perspective for Detroit. I just don't love, as I said, what it necessarily infers about the direction or lack of vision with how they want to flesh out this roster. Is there, uh, is, is there a, a package that is, so it's not necessarily what Detroit gave up. It's not so much that they essentially gave up Bay to get Wiseman. It's just the idea for you that, because um, I'm not saying like we could we could just disagree. I, I don't. I, and who the fuck knows who's right? Like it's going to take three years to figure that out. But like, is it just the fact that it's the positional thing? And it's like what what it says about because to me, I would take Weaver's comments as like this is just a substitute for, for what I want to say, which is we're pretty bad and we're taking home run swings on guys that we might and it might be a strikeout like that's because he can't say that he can't say. Yeah, or, or that we're not confident that Duran's going to be great because we can't be. But like that, ha- that has to be how they feel. Is it just that there's too many centers here and it's hard to envision these? You know, any two, any two of these working out like long term together? Is that is that like the hang up? Yes, and then also just like so, you kept Bogdanovich, which if the offer sucked, I'm all for it. Like I don't think he hurt your development. But are you? And you kept Alec Burks as well. Are you super committed to winning? next year and like that also worries me but then it runs counter to what you just did with the Wiseman trade and so yes we need to let it play out and the the opportunity cost was not steep I do think it was just a little awkward that they decided hey we're done being in the Sadiq Bay business they just thought he was never going to be maybe the quintessential three three and D wing and might have been better suited with um the role that he's going to have in Atlanta Uh, okay fine but I'm I, I thought that was an odd decision to make at the time but my biggest concern is just as you outlaid I don't understand like what the vision is for this roster. And if it's, yeah, we suck. We're taking as many swings as possible. You still have to kind of juggle those swings in tandem with one another at some point. And so I'm more interested to see what this kind of means for next season, especially when like, okay, Cade will be available at that point, presumably. And then maybe it helps that Jay Ivy will be another year deeper into his development. Uh, I just, I don't necessarily understand the Pistons. They just seem caught in this weird space. And for a team that has, some top end prospects on the roster. I would like to feel better about their direction or have more clarification on it than I actually do. But Hey, look, maybe Wiseman and Duran can end up playing together or they're both just there and it's working and Wiseman, you know, rehabilitates his value or, or establishes any value whatsoever over the long term. Uh, I would root for that. I don't want to see players fail. I just, this was not the team for me that I thought made sense as a, as a longer term Wiseman destination. I think too, just to argue against myself, uh, like zooming all the way out, it's kind of a wild move to consolidate your young talent at a position center that just doesn't really matter anymore or matters way less than it used to. Like, yeah, if you had like Brooklyn has a million wings or, you know, that kind of thing, just, oh, we got, we got four centers that can basically only play center. And someone like Bagley sort of can't play center or power forward. So it's just like, this is not the place to have, like a surplus of guys that you need to, that you're going to one pay and two need to get on the floor just because the devaluation of the center just continues um, unless you're a superstar or MVP candidate. So 
the Blazer side is kind of, to me, it's meh. You know, we basically have given up Gary Payton the second for Kevin Knox and a bunch of second rounders. Um, and I cribbed this from you in your initial evaluation, which I thought was right, which is that you kind of, if you just look at this on its own, that's just paying Peyton in free agency and moving him for some seconds is kind of like, well, what was the point of all this? Even if he was hurt, um, which is another aspect to this deal, but the Blazers added other guys that can kind of approximate what Peyton did. And one of them, Matisse Tybul, I think as who shot it really well, who knows if that's going to sustain. But if you're talking about which of, which of these defense first guys would you rather have for the next couple of years, or maybe Tybul still is ahead of Peyton because of the age difference because of the length, because of, you know, the possibility that Tybalt's going to shoot it more, uh, shoot it more accurately. Like, I don't know. Um, Peyton took a while to become someone that you didn't just totally ignore on the perimeter. I think he's, you know, and really the sample of him being a good enough shooter to avoid that treatment is pretty small still at the year plus. So, I mean, I gave the Blazers a B minus just because in totality, I don't really feel like they you know, hurt themselves that much. And if Tybul is someone they end up keeping at a reasonable deal, maybe cheaper than they were going to be on the hook for, for Peyton, that that's totally fine. Um, the Warriors, I kind of killed them and it's unfair because I didn't ding the Suns for Durant being hurt. Um, and I am essentially, or at least partially dinging the Warriors for Peyton being hurt. That's kind of a messy thing to talk about because we don't, we don't know what Portland knew. We don't know what the Warriors should have known, but ultimately the Warriors admitted failure. They've drafted the wrong guy. They traded James Wiseman and they got back someone that cannot help them right now. And we don't know when Peyton will be able to help them. And the whole point of this was James Wiseman cannot help us. Gary Payton has, and we know can, except he's hurt. And so it was just, you've given up this, this asset that you held on to for too long and you traded it for something that is basically a zero. Um, you're going to save a little bit of money, but you know, that's just the Warriors spend so much that I don't know how much, you know, tens of millions of luxury tax savings really matters. Um, if Peyton gets healthy and contributes to the Warriors finally figuring it out this season, I guess my evaluation would change. And I think certainly he does seem like someone that will be valuable next year and the year after, but it's just such a rough, it's a rough look. You, you, you waited too long. You gave up Wiseman and you're just not, you're not better. Um, you're certainly not better in terms of your, you know, five-year ceiling. I don't know mm. if there was a scenario where Wiseman was going to be on the team that long, even into a second contract, but uh, it's just, it, it hasn't, the one thing the Warriors needed was short-term help and they don't have it. So, I mean, it's, I gave them a D plus, um, even if like incomplete might be a fair grade, if you didn't want to, you know, just pass judgment right away. I gave him a C and I'd probably stick with it. Uh, I, 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 you can't, criticize them for trading Wiseman for the return that they did at this time, but you right. can absolutely criticize them for bag holding on Wiseman, which they were pearl clutching, which they did. And I think that's the hardest thing to reconcile. And then to not understand fully what you were getting in Gary Payton the second with his injury, like there's a lack of, I think due diligence on their part. I just can't believe that the Blazers withheld information to the point, like where they're hiding confidential health reports there so and like the warriors also kind of knew that gary payton was dealing with injuries last year albeit mm -hmm. i think it was a separate one he's dealing with a wrist injury right or elbow during the playoffs whatever it was yeah so i just it's not a great look for them but you could lean more towards incomplete i think a straight c is fine because the value relative to where wiseman was 
it's it's acceptable. It never should have gotten to this low before you actually moved him. There was more sheen on him a year, a year and a half ago when you kind of understood that, okay, this is not going to, to work out. And so for them to just be, you know, they won the title last year. So how much does this really matter? But what would they be in a much better position this year, next year? Have they moved Wiseman sooner? Absolutely. And I think it's fair to ding them for that. I, I wonder like, cause it's, you know, right. I don't think the Blazers did anything, you know, really suspect, but like all the Warriors and presumably players front office, they like, I'm, I imagine they're still in contact with Peyton. Like he was on the team all last year. Could, do you think there was a phone call where like Bob Myers is talking to Peyton's agent or, you know, Steph Curry's talking to Peyton. They're like, are you good? It, like if, <laughs> and Peyton wants to be on the Warriors so bad that he's like a hundred percent, I'll be ready to go day one, get me over there. Like there's just a lot of, the disconnect is weird given the relationship between the parties involved. So, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how you, how, that factors. And the other thing that kind of, if you're a Warriors fan, I think maybe you might be a little annoyed by is you could have just re-signed Peyton, like, <laughs> you know, and then you can trade Wiseman for something else. You probably don't have DiVincenzo who's been really good for them, um, who they're just going to lose in free agency this year, this summer anyway, but, um, but the they'll just reacquire that, him for Moses Moody at next year's trade deadline. Or something <laughs> yeah, right. That's perfect. That's exactly what's going to happen. But you just, the idea that you could have had, you could have had Peyton if you wanted to, uh, and just chose not to. And now, oh yeah, we changed our minds. Like we're gonna we're gonna give up our number two overall pick for him. Kind of a kind of a tough uh, tough turn of events. I do think our impressions have the potential to really brighten up if Gary Payton the second, which doesn't seem like he will be, but if he's healthy playing in the postseason, because he becomes he's like everything they need. He's smaller, but like yeah. he, he defends like a bigger wing. Yeah, and they need defense. I mean, they just their defense, especially on the road, has been. I mean, it's one of the worst defenses in the league and, and just, you can't, you, your defense might not be great, but if Gary Payton, the second is on the floor, it's going to be disruptive and like at least, and he's going to play really hard and he's not going to take plays off or screw up roads. Like just get him out there. And he might, like you said, he might really just address the, the most pressing need for this team, but who knows, right? We don't know when he's going to play. This was very instructive. Do you want to take us out of here? Yeah. Uh, although like, so ultimately I don't think our opinions have changed a whole lot on any of these. And that has mostly to do with the sample and the fact that a lot of these were designed. Thank you for not saying that at the top of the podcast. Yeah. (laughs) You guys can just go read Dan's live grades from a month ago and you're pretty much going to get the gist of this. Um, okay. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. Anybody that had, uh, had comments and questions, we appreciate it. Uh, if you are not already, please, uh, follow us on our socials at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and tiktok at hardwood underscore knocks on instagram uh subscribe on youtube uh make sure you tell your friends and enemies rate review subscribe every place else and as always uh undiscussed yet again both players that we, we love to shout out shouts to frank milikina and apologies to jared allen